0: Legislators can draw lines in a way that provides extra influence in those districts that contain those prisons, and it just gives a false sense of democracy. The state reps
1: or the senators will tell them, I'm not your state representative, I'm not your senator. You need to contact the state rep from the area which you um, came from.
2: Welcome to the Cloudcast. I'm Joel Ebert. For weeks, lawmakers have been holding hearings that have formally kicked off the redistricting process in Illinois. The map-making process is a lengthy and at times confusing thing, but essentially the goal is to ensure that every person's vote in Illinois is equivalent. That's the basics of the one-person, one-vote rule, which must be adhered to during redistricting. The rule, however, doesn't incorporate everyone in the state, in part due to something called prison gerrymandering. Since the U.S. Census began in 1790, the federal government has counted incarcerated people as residents of the towns where their prisons are located. Critics say that system creates problems because it artificially inflates the population of counties where prisons are located. At the same time, prisoners who have lost the right to vote are not often considered by the lawmakers who represent the areas where those prisons are located. In recent years, there's been a movement across the country to change that system, and have prisoners counted based on their last known address instead of the prison. In Illinois, the effort to end prison gerrymandering has seen some success. In January, when lawmakers approved a massive overhaul of policing and criminal justice, a portion of that now law ended prison gerrymandering, but not until 2030. This week on the Cloudcast, we'll explore the effort to end prison gerrymandering with Representative LaShawn Ford, a Democratic lawmaker who has long pursued the issue, and Common Cause Executive Director Jay Young. We begin this episode with Jay Young. Thanks for coming on the Cloudcast.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm a big fan.
2: Well, appreciate that. So for for listeners that may not know... um can you give kind of an, uh, an explanation, just a broad view of what the issue of prison gerrymandering is and why it sort of matters, why it's relevant to the, I, I guess, ongoing discussion about redistricting?
0: Sure, sure. So um, I guess you got to start um, really with the U.S. Constitution. Um, the U.S. Constitution, is, it requires that the uh, districts, the, the the political maps that um, our legislators draw to determine who's going to represent us at the federal, state, and local levels, the Constitution requires um, that all of those districts have an equal population. So that's kind of a, a basic um, piece of this. Now, um, when you're talking about the redistricting process, you're frequently going to hear the word gerrymandering. And gerrymandering just means that as politicians are going through the process of drawing those maps, they've got a thumb on the scale. They're they're tweaking the way that they're drawing those boundaries um, to give a particular unfair advantage. And sometimes that happens along partisan lines, sometimes that happens along racial lines. Um, the prison gerrymandering issue that we're talking about Is really um, something that we're talking, we're we're focused on um, when you add um, the 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 plight of incarcerated persons into this um, analysis, Um, and and so you know if you think about if you think about it, it, the United States, you know we we always used to incarcerate a lot of people, but really since the war on drugs and sort of this explosion of mass incarceration. Um, Our prison populations have really kind of um, blossomed, have expanded, have have ballooned out of control. And when you go back to, you've got the U.S. Constitution over here, which says that when you're drawing lines, you have to consider population. Well, if you have these concentrated populations of folks um, that are living in a particular geographic area, um, and usually those folks aren't allowed to vote, it really starts you really start just starting seeing an imbalance um uh it, you get um uh, a situation where legislators can draw lines um in a way that provides extra influence in those districts that contain those prisons um and it just gives a false sense of democracy it artificially inflates population numbers um in a way that it really shouldn't and it just dilutes the political power of voters living elsewhere.
2: So essentially it, it, it takes a, an area that, you know, a, a, let's say a downstate community that otherwise would not necessarily have the size population that it does. And it may inflate it by 50, 60, 100,000 extra residents who aren't voting residents but are counted to then ultimately lead to whatever the extra benefits of that census increase count is, right? That might be federal dollars, that might be state dollars, uh, that might
0: be a little bit more uh, of a, a larger district, it may, right? So yes, but I, I, I wanna be, we, we wanna be maybe a little bit careful about um, that. So you're absolutely right. It, it People are being sent away from where they usually reside um, and sending them to, to uh, elsewhere. And really what we're talking about is, a, this is a census problem. Um, the US census could fix this because it's defining people as residing in the prison and not in their home community. Um, the, what the census, Where the census figures out where you reside is actually important because you're right, federal dollars come with that um, as well as political power. But it's possible, and what we've seen around the country is some states, um, kind of separate that. So they might send the dollars back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're from, you know, Cook County, they might send the dollars to Cook County, but leave the political power in terms of the, the legislative maps, uh, down in, in Pontiac, say, um, or, or what have you. So it, it is possible to separate the two, but you're absolutely right. This is really a question of where the census is counting you.
2: And, and this seems to be a largely, uh, I guess in, in Illinois, at least it is heavily centered on, uh, some of the, the populations in, in Chicago that aren't necessarily counted there, uh, because, uh, there are people that are incarcerated in, in downstate prisons, right? So I, I thought one of the astounding facts is this, this, uh, thing that you guys have shared and others that 60% of Illinois prisoners are Chicago residents, but they are counted as residents of downstate prisons. Um, Explain that a little bit more. What is that? How does that affect everything, I guess?
0: Well, I mean, if you think about the fact that, you know, you just kind of do a a, take a look at a map of where all of the Illinois prisons um, are located. By and large, they're downstate. There's no state prisons in Cook County um even though a large chunk as you as you know of our prisoners are um in those prisons are uh from cook county um and that's that's a huge issue it's a huge equity issue because if you think about what the um what are the the prison populations look like who we incarcerate it is predominantly black and brown folks that are being sent out of cook county hundreds of miles away um into a community where as you note know, they can't vote but their presence is being used um to give um to sort of inflate the um the, the the political power of the folks that are that do live in those communities and are able um to vote. You know there's a there's an example which folks who care about this often um think about. It's a it's a town in um Iowa uh, where something like 95% of the residents in a particular ward are all prisoners. Um, none of them can vote. Um, and so it actually is meaningful because there was actually an election where, uh, there was no candidate for a particular office and just two people putting a write-in vote were able to get somebody elected. Like that's not democracy you know, that is, that is a perversion of of what we really are trying to say about one person, one vote.
2: I mean, you, you alluded to it there and, and talked to, uh, about how the prison populations are often, you know, having uh, disproportionately, uh, uh, you know, people of color, um, black and brown communities, right? And how does race overall factor into this, you know, issue? I mean, Again, it's the idea of one person, one vote is is what is supposed to be the Voting Rights Act. But this issue kind of um, it's not as crystal clear with this. Right.
0: It isn't. It isn't. Um, You know, and and it's um, it unfortunately also becomes a bit of a a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, we sort of have this, um, you know, a system that is set up. Um, to create this imbalance, to 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 transfer political power out of a community um, into someplace else, and that means you're not getting back and addressing, um, you know, many of the core issues that got those folks locked up in the first place. Um, you know, whether it's opportunity, um, whether it's uh, policing issues, um, whether it's just resources invested um, so that um, you know folks can make choices that are available. Uh, to, to our residents living around the, the, state. So, you know, it, it is a system like unfortunately we see, you know, in, in many places, um, throughout our, our society that is just set up, um, in a way that, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, needs to have a us versus them. And in this case, the them are locked up. Um, the them can't vote. Um, and, you know, I, I wish it were the case um, that the elected officials in those districts were checking in with the residents of their their, their districts and, and seeing what they can do to change. And so that, you know, that that, that 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 representation could still exist. But but sadly, it doesn't.
2: How does how do party politics play into this issue? Um, you know, there have been several states that have uh, passed legislation, including now Illinois, but we can talk a little bit more about that in a second, but how how do you see the sort of party divide on on changing this um, across the country?
0: I wish it was as simple as saying um, uh, political party X is the problem and we should um, uh, address that. You know, sadly, uh, this isn't a a Republican or a Democratic issue. Um, This is an issue around power. Um, And and so. Those who are in power, you know, tend to want to hold on to that power. Uh, and so while in Illinois, for example, where we're pretty segregated, I mean, pretty segregated is, um, you know, being a very mild characterization of how we, how we align ourselves geographically in this state. Um, but so in in Illinois, it's probably true, um, that, uh, more of the state prisons are located in districts that are represented by, um, Republicans. That's not necessarily the case in 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 other places around the country, um, so this is unfortunately Republicans and Democrats are equal opportunity offenders when it comes to um, issues involving all kinds of gerrymandering. Um, and prison gerrymandering is is just one of the ways in which they're holding on to that power.
2: And, and one of the things, of course, that has been sort of criticized, I guess, from, from people that have been, have been advocating for ending prison gerrymandering in Illinois is the fact that this, uh, I guess the, the start of this would not begin until after the 2030 census. Um, so essentially the 2031 redistricting process, which is a decade away. Um, tell me about, you know, Obviously, there were a lot of negotiations into the criminal justice reform and and police reform legislation, but uh, with with the idea that this is a an unfair system, right? By punting on this for another decade, what does that do? I guess for for uh, the the state's prison population, and does it continue? I guess to um, just keep this policy that's been in place for decades. Uh, just unnecessarily for another ten years
0: for me it's demoralizing um because I worry that um sometime between now and then i'm gonna be fighting um yet another piece of legislation which is going to kick the can even further down the road um i am glad like this this is a foot in the door um and it's a big it's it, it opens up a big crack don't get me wrong, Illinois is only the eleventh state um to to do this, and so um I don't want to, uh, to, to, to badmouth any part of that. We should celebrate that fact. Um, but by waiting, um, until, uh, after 2030, I mean, maybe it's some, some part of it was probably inevitable. We're in a redistricting year right now. Um, and you know, it is, uh, it, it might have been a, a difficult political, um, pill to swallow. Uh, you know, my organization is, you know, sort of a, a a nonpartisan watchdog focused on accountability and transparency. They don't tend to invite me behind that closed door, uh, so I can't, uh, explain exactly why, um, the language had been changed. You know, uh, uh, rep ford have been pushing, uh, this, this, uh, issue for almost a decade. And certainly I know previous language called for this change to, to be immediate. I can't tell you why. Um, you know, I, I have my suspicions, um, but I you know, I, I certainly can't tell you why. But it's just it's a concerning thing because you're you're right. It just keeps this inequitable system in place for another decade. Um and it, it certainly leaves open the opportunity for a legislator, you know, one, two, three years from now to come by and say, you know what, twenty thirty isn't really gonna work for me. Let's make it twenty forty or or twenty fifty.
2: I imagine the folks that are interested in this issue are, you know, having a broader discussion about, is this something that we can pressure the Census Bureau and, and you know, presidential administrations to uh, change? And that would be, I guess, alleviate some of the, the state-by-state approaches. Is that something that, you know, might be the next uh, focus, at least for some of the advocates in Illinois, Aside from moving up the enactment date and con- continuing pressure to make sure that that twenty thirty date does begin is is sort of the next focal point on the federal level i guess
0: absolutely and you know I mean we'd have to have a whole nother podcast where I can um, voice all of my frustrations with the last census process um, but I, I, I want to draw a couple of distinctions um between a lot of the news that was made about the census Bureau was about political um decisions that were made and sort of uh undercutting um what uh, folks were were doing the sort of uh career professionals um there. I believe that even though there was a lot, we were disappointed, the advocates were disappointed that we didn't get the Bureau to change its mind um about uh where they were counting uh prisoners um uh this time around in the 2020 census. They have made some steps and so they're already uh, publishing early data, um, uh, which will contain some additional information about, um, correctional facilities. And, you know, they're going to provide just additional tools that'll make it easier for states, um, to, to make the changes themselves. But you're, you're right where all of this goes away if the Census Bureau changes its approach. And starts, it changes the definition of, uh, where people quote unquote usually reside and say, you know, you're, you don't usually reside in the place where you're locked up for maybe 18 months. You usually reside in your community and that's where the resources, that's where the political power should go. And hopefully we can get the Bureau to, to make that change, um, for the next census.
2: Anything else our, our listeners and readers should know about this issue?
0: I guess the only other thing that I would say is, um, you know, Again, we should be very excited, not just about um the uh the decision that the state uh made um in terms of uh eliminating prison gerrymandering, even in the, the somewhat limited way that we did do at this time. But to think about it in you know, the broader context of the work that has been done around civics in prison, uh whether it's you know making it easier for pretrial detainees um to, to vote while um they're being detained. Uh, there's work that's happening right now, um, by advocates out there, uh, to, to allow incarcerated persons to vote. Like there is a broader, um, movement that's happening in, in Illinois, um, that I actually think is really powerful, um, and, and could really have, um, the, uh, prospect of just transforming, um, the way that we think about democracy in the state, the way we think about representation. And so again, I think we should be really encouraged by this. Um, and honestly, as, as somebody that depends on, um, you know, people power to get this done, it's a, it's a great way for folks to actually roll up their sleeves, pick up the phone, call their legislators or, or knock on some doors and, um, get some real good change, uh, happening. So uh, I think that's something worth celebrating.
2: Jay Young, Executive Director of Common Cause Illinois. Thank you again for coming on the podcast.
0: Thanks again for having me. Um, this is a great conversation. Thank you for bringing this to the listeners.
2: As you heard Jay Young mention, Representative LaShawn Ford was one of the many players involved in the closed-door discussions about the criminal justice and police reform legislation. Here's my interview with Representative Ford. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me on your show. It's always good to be on the podcast.
2: So I wanted to talk to you today about your work ending prison gerrymandering in Illinois. It's been a long uh, battle. I know that you've been behind. Um, how did you come to work on this issue for for people that don't really know uh, your history of it?
1: You know, this has been um, an issue that was um, dear to me because in the district that I represent on the west side of Chicago, many of the constituents returned from state prisons to um, the west side of Chicago. And, you know, working as a legislator representing the individuals in those prisons, they're always calling district offices of state reps that represent the city of Chicago and the individuals where um, the uh, prisons are, the state reps and the senators where the prisons are, they always redirect them to, the locations where they were last um, living. And so it's like, how are you going to um, count the people for population and, and, and for revenue, but not want to represent them? So it was clear that we needed to make sure that since we are representing the individuals that are behind bars and they're going to return back to the communities that um, they came from, that they should be counted in the communities that represent them while they're um, away in prison and where they will be returning.
2: And and so you're getting contacted by people who technically aren't really your constituents. Um, in some of these hearings, I've heard some of the lawmakers who, uh, you know, represent the areas where these prisons are uh, kind of say that, you know, they don't really um, they, they represent folks that are in the prison, but they don't, there isn't much outreach, that sort of a thing. So you're sort of being reached out to, uh, over the years to, uh, be that voice that some of these folks haven't
1: had. Absolutely. I mean, they're right there in the backyards of the state representatives and the senators in the prison district, and yet they cannot contact them because, um, um, The state reps or the senators will tell them, I'm not your state representative. I'm not your senator. You need to contact the state rep from the area which you um, came from. So it is clear um, that the state reps down there, they don't want to represent them. Um, They only want to um, use their bodies um, for the count and for the um, funding. And so... It seems contradicting um, to me that they can argue on one end that they should be counted in their area, but not counted um, and represented in their demographics.
2: For listeners who may not have followed along on this issue, what did your legislation, the No Representation Without Population Act, seek to do?
1: It simply the No Representation Population Act simply um, will say that Individuals that are locked up in prisons, the state will now count them at their last known address, which means that it will take away the population from a prison community and move the individual that um, may have been counted at a state prison address to their last known address um, where they came from. The Supreme Court um, ruled that the um, a prison is not a legal address. So that's why you see across the country, many states ending prison gerrymandering, because legally you really cannot um, claim a prison um, address as your legal address. And so we're going to make sure that people are counted at their last known legal address.
2: This was a, a, uh, one of the many components included in the criminal justice and police reform bill that was approved during the lame duck session in January, uh, but it didn't entirely incorporate your entire legislation wholesale. What was the, the sort of final version of this?
1: Well, you know, I would have liked for the um, the count to take place immediately um, for this um census count. This will not happen. We will probably, uh, we will see the count take place in the next census count. And so um, it probably will be, or it will be in 2030 when when prison um, inmates were, you know, people that are locked up will be counted at their last known address. How did that come to be?
2: Were you involved in, in some of the negotiations on that final you know massive omnibus bill which admittedly you know took a lot of work uh to kind of get it across the finish line but you know this was something you had been fighting for for so long um how how did that final version come through
1: you know it was compromise you know you either uh, compromise so that you can have a win or you get nothing and you continue to fight And, and we this was a moment brought on by you know the post George Floyd era, and we have a progressive governor, and it was very difficult to um, to accept the fact that it wasn't going to happen for the 2020 census. But the silver lining is, and it was that it will happen, and that Illinois officially ended prison gerrymandering moving forward. Um, you know. I was a part of the negotiations. Um, Some of the problems that we had was the secretary of state and other agencies did not feel that we had enough time to include the count in this prison, in this census um, data. And so with that being um, coming from different state agencies, the Department of Corrections and the secretary of state, it was thought that the best thing that we could do is now um, look forward and um, count the um, people that's locked away in the next census.
2: I've I've heard from some advocates during the current redistricting process encourage uh, essentially Democrats and, and lawmakers that are leading that process to move up the effective date. Essentially. The concern, it sounds as if, is that, let's say, you know, the next governor's administration, because uh, this current governor won't be there, you know, through the uh, next census. Um, let's say it's a Republican. They could come in and, um, you know, essentially just say, I don't want this or pass legislation, whatever it may be. Uh, do you have any concerns that, you know, while – the legislation's intent now is to end it in in the next nine years, essentially, um, that that could kind of change?
1: You know, I do have concerns. um, And and for the next um, nine years or so, we have to continue to educate the um, general public and legislators about why this is important. And so um, we hope that we could maintain a strong, progressive type of legislature where this is important and over the next um nine years or so we we hopefully we will as a state have accepted the fact that um illinois ended prison gerrymandering because we recognize that counting people at a um, prison is unconstitutional and it violates the person's um, one vote, one um, person's uh, right. And so, you know, I think that it's tough to talk about the one person, one vote, because people locked away in prison, they have even lost their right to vote. And that's something that we're working on as well.
2: I was going to say, with this now sort of in the rearview mirror, at least the big fight over it, what's the next... um... I guess, push that you're going to have uh, to ensure that prisoners are, uh, you know, not necessarily uh, people who are sort of afterthoughts, um, as they have been in so many years uh, in so many states.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The fight is to make sure that we have a prison system that's about correcting and reform. And that's why I think that it's important that um, people locked up in prison have a direct connection with legislators that care about their needs and their concerns and they should be a part of the democratic process of voting for people that are elected so our goal now is or one of my goals is to make sure that people are restored the right to vote while locked up in prison i believe that that could reduce recidivism because it gives people um true connections with the outside um, it makes them more responsible as, um, as citizens. And um, they have things to talk about with their family and friends uh, because elections happen all the time. You know, they have constructive conversations in prisons about who they're voting for. That's a part of what I call um, reconnecting people to society and making sure that they are integrated in our um, democracy. So giving people in prison the right to vote is a big push that I think Illinois should have right now.
2: What else should people know about uh, prison gerrymandering in general?
1: I think people should know that, you know, what we've seen in um, during this pandemic, the, Districts where prisons are, they cut their nose off to spite their face because what we've learned is these districts only count the people that's locked up for map making and for the federal money that comes to them because of the population. But what we learned during the pandemic is they don't count them in their local demographics. And how do we know? We know because when the hospitals had to take in residents from the community to put them on ventilators because of the pandemic of COVID-19, there were not enough beds to um, take care of the residents of the communities and the people that's locked up in the jails and the prisons. And how, so what happens when you do these census, the census help you collect data for your community, your population. And so when they collect the data for um, their communities, they never included the people that's locked up in the prisons. So the resources were not there. They only use them to use their bodies and and their are um, for redistricting. So if they included them in their local demographics, then they would have known that they needed more hospital beds. In the case of emergencies, they would have known that they need more resources to take care of all of the people that's living in their areas. But what we've learned, they don't really want a murder to be included in their demographics so they don't include them in their local demographics
2: well thank you uh, again very much for for breaking all this down and uh, it will be interesting to see uh, you know what goes on in the upcoming redistricting process and how that changes after the 2030 census as well so thank you representative LaShawn Ford for coming on the cloudcast
1: thank you so very much Joe look forward to the next time
2: That's it for this episode of the Cloudcast. Special thanks to Jay Young and Representative LaShawn Ford for joining me. This episode has been edited and produced by myself, Joel Ebert. We'll be back with a new episode of the Cloudcast in two weeks.